0: Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Congratulations to all of our graduates and wish you the best in uh, the season ahead. And we're in week two of our series, Extraordinary Jesus. And this weekend, we're going to highlight Extraordinary Jesus Makes Life Worth Living at any stage and every stage. And if you have the CLC app, you can follow along with us. Uh, and uh, this weekend being grad weekend, I was remembering back. I've graduated several times from different programs, but from high school, that was a long time ago. And we used to have pep rallies. I don't know if they still have pep rallies or not. But uh, we would have the gym. We had the juniors, the seniors, the sophomores, the freshmen on different parts of the gym. And we'd have cheer competitions, if you will. And each year had their own cheer. How many of you had your own cheer Okay, for your year? No. Ours was, we're the best, there'll be no more, because we're the class of 74. <laughs> yeah, 49 years ago. And uh, my class was, uh, they were, I would like to call us optimistic realists. Um, that was our cheer. Our class motto was taken from a song by the Rolling Stones. Uh, and it went, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. So uh, there you go. That's uh, all the optimism of 1974. And, uh, and you have registered. In fact, let's just, on the count of three, say what year you graduated. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. So all over the map, all right? And uh, graduating, I want to speak to the graduates today, not just graduates from an official educational process, But all of us, the word graduate also uh, talks about changing gradually. Like the word gradual is in there. And so all of us, at the very least, are graduating. How many of you plan to live next week? Okay. Not a trick question. Caught you by surprise. Ask it again. How many of you plan to live next week? Okay, all of us, right? So we are, if nothing else, we're graduating to Monday. Okay. We're graduating to next week and the next season. So this message is meant to apply. And uh, as we talk about uh, extraordinary Jesus, if you're alive, he's not done with you yet. And I have noticed with the passing of birthdays that there is a a, a thing start to happen. Uh, I think, in fact, let's do this. All of you that are under 40, would you stand? Under 40, just stand up, okay? Now, first of all, let me just console you or encourage you or whatever if any of you are getting close and dreading the big 4.0, trust me, ain't nothing big about it, okay? when you, It's like a speed bump if that. Wait till you hit the big 5.0. That's like driving over a curb, okay? And 6.0 is like driving up the stairs, all right? So it's 4.0, you'll do just fine. Tell, tell the person that you'll do fine, all right? And 3.0 doesn't even deserve mention, okay? So, all right. But nonetheless, we're talking about extraordinary Jesus. So I want you to give Jesus a standing ovation. Everybody under 40, Go. All right. Have a seat. You know where I'm going. Everybody 40 and above, you stand up. Listen to the creaking sound. Yeah. All right. right, Now, before you give a standing ovation, I have a flashback. My mom led her senior citizens ministry for years. Her and my dad did. Mom's kind of leader of that. And uh, their seniors went through things that we kind of were able to avoid, which I'm happy about. But there was a time that for years they had like worship wars. We need more hymns. Just you know, button heads. You know. Say the word hymn, it's fighting words, okay? And so I went, I spoke at one of their Christmas banquets. It's like a 100 seniors in the room. And, and I kind of stepped on it. I said, yeah, you remember the old hymn, The Longer I Serve Him, The Sweeter He Grows? Yeah, hymns, yeah, hymns, yeah. I said, shouldn't you be able to flip it and say, The longer I serve Him, the sweeter I grow? Right? So before you give a standing ovation to Jesus, I assume most of you have been serving Him a long time, maybe even longer than some of these younger people have been alive. So when I talk about extraordinary Jesus, you already know He is Extraordinary. You know His grace is amazing grace, okay? So I'm going to ask you to give Him a standing ovation, and I expect a little more, all right? Give it up for Jesus, all right? Yeah, all right. Very good. All right. I'm proud of you. That's good. Have a seat. So all you young'uns, that's what you have to look forward to, okay? He is more extraordinary, yet. So if you are going to succeed... Uh, you follow along in the app. This first point says you start at the end with the right expectations and, the conf- and confidence. It's important your confidence is placed in the right right place and that you have proper expectations. When it comes to confidence, uh, I go to first Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6 says, I'm confident, Paul says, of this very right thing. Say, I am confident. That he who began a good work in you will continue to bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't need to read that verse off the Confidence Monitor because I have memorized it, I have quoted it, I remind myself of that all the time. I am a work in process. And as I don't quit, he won't quit. Remind yourself of that. Because once you pray to accept Christ, he began a good work in you, and that work continues until the day you leave this planet. You stay in it, he stays in it. So that confidence is not rooted in me. It's not rooted in people around me or my education or whatever. It is rooted in the fact that he's the one who started that work. I'm going to trust him to be faithful to complete it until I go to heaven. And then when it comes to uh, the right expectations, um, I remember when I was in my 20s at a seminar of a bunch of pastors, and the guy who was speaking made the statement I've never known anyone do anything great for God that hasn't gone through significant heartache and struggle. And my first thought was, "Uh uh-oh. Because in my mid-twenties, I had not gone through significant heartache or struggle. I had a pretty nice life. Now that I'm in my mid-sixties, I can say amen to that statement. And it's helpful. Part of part of finishing, part of succeeding is knowing what you're up against and what's ahead of you. If you enter a race and you think it's a 5K, it turns out to be a marathon, you're in trouble. It's not three miles, it's 26 plus. If you know it's a marathon, then you will train accordingly and you will expect to hit the wall and all that kind of stuff happens in a marathon. It's, so your expectations are huge. So to all of us graduates, whether we just walked the line or are going to walk the line for our high school graduation or whether you've walked several graduations and you are graduating to next week and you're way up there in age, here's the proper expectation until we cross the finish line. Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy. And what he said to him near the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. He was on to say, there's a, there's a crown of righteousness for me and for all those who loved in the There's a reward waiting for me. When I did my dad's funeral almost 24 years ago, mom gave me his Bible, and, and in that, when I went to that passage, that was one of his favorite verses. He had that highlighted in comments in the margins. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Life is a battle. The planet has fallen. It cannot get up. And and life is a battle. As John Maxwell says, everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Marriage is a piece of cake. Did you hear that? That's the reality check. A successful career is easy. Anything worthwhile in life is uphill. It's a battle. It's exhilarating. It's worthwhile. It's rewarding. But it is a battle that you're going to have to fight. And your faith in all of life is a battle. So I have fought a good fight. And boy, you read what Paul went through. Horrendous. And then he said, I have finished the course. Finished the course compared to quitting the course. And those of us who stood the second time around for the second standing ovation have been around long enough. All of us know people who used to be in the race? And they quit. I can't tell you how many peers are. I'll be at a meeting of pastors from across our state uh, for the first couple of days this week and from all across Ohio. And I will easily be one of the oldest pastors there, one of the longest tenured pastors there. And almost all the guys that I started with 40 years ago quit a long time ago. You know, Christians who used to really be in the race and they quit they got distracted they 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 changed dreams they just they just fell fell away and paul says i have i have fought a good fight i have finished the course and i have kept the faith as opposed to losing the faith as opposed to drifting from the faith and faith is kind of like a fire and uh, we had a fireplace in our old home and it was a bur- wood burning fireplace I love wood-burning fireplaces. I'm annoying to people around me because I'm constantly messing with the fireplace. And I, you know, put a little stick there and then it'll blow it a little bit. I love, if we have a fireplace now, you flip a switch. You know, might as well just put a sticker on there with a flame on it, that's about, is it? All right. But man, when you got to tend to that fire, man, when the kids were young and I, we'd start a fire on Sunday afternoon on the wintertime and I'd get that thing going, it'd burn all day long, throwing logs and i keeping keep it going. We'd do marshmallows and hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. And I'm constantly, you know, putting stuff on. Faith is a lot like that. Faith is not just flip a switch and there it is, ongoing. Faith is something you got to cultivate, you got to keep it, you gotta, and there's times you have to go, Sometimes faith burns bright. You ever had faith burning bright in your life? Sometimes your faith is barely a flicker. Don't let it go out. All of us go through those seasons. Paul says, says, I've kept the faith. I've kept it alive. I've kept it burning. And oddly enough, you know, 40 years ago this month, end of this month, Joyce and I moved to Dayton to start serving at CLC. I've been turning down the same driveway to go to work for 40 years. That's a long time. But... Do you think, and I've been lead pastor for 32, showing up on this platform for 32 years, do you think every weekend when I walk out on the platform, my faith is yeah. Say no. <laughs> there are weekends I walked out of that door or the door in the old building, and my faith was <sharp inhale> But then we walk by faith and not by sight. There are times I walk out there and I'm like, yeah. And there are days you wake up, huge faith. There are days you wake up, where is God? And Paul says, I have kept the faith. I've kept it alive. I've kept stoking it. I've kept in God's word, kept reading, kept worshiping, kept fellowshipping, and kept trusting him. And when we have the expectation, okay, what's ahead of me, I'm graduating to a new season of life, a new academic program, a new career, a new week. And who knows, you might, I might go to heaven this week. I might live for another 20 years. So whatever I'm graduating to tomorrow morning on Monday, I I am going to fight a good fight. I'm going to finish that course, and I'm going to keep the faith and keep it alive. Why? Because I'm confident that he who began that good work in me is not going to quit. I'm a work in process. He knows it. I know it. He's still got work to do in me. So until I look in the mirror and go, you're just like Jesus, he's going to keep working. And that ain't going to happen until I get there. So, Another thought, you matter to God and he wants you to live an abundant, fruitful life that goes beyond what you're probably thinking. I chose those words intentionally because all of you who are under 40 have been raised in a culture that will diminish the value of your life. I was a junior in high school when it became a protected legal right in this nation to kill children before they were born. So we have a whole generation that has been subtly spoken to that, you know, until you breathed your first breath and cried your first cry, you were disposable. Don't get off on how precious you are. You weren't. And people are enraged and fighting to, to try to keep that alive. And even after you're born, if... Mom and dad or mom doesn't want you. You can be extinguished. (laughs) The Bible says, no, you are precious. From before mom even knew she was pregnant. Look at what it says in Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. From a biblical perspective, people who live in a womb are precious to God before they even are coming out. So I want us to do something, all right? It's going to feel hokey, but it's one of my specialties. I want you to hug yourself. Come on. If your neighbor's not doing it, say, go on, you can do it. How hard is this? This isn't hard. Just hokey, All right. And then, you know, I've I've coined the phrase, good job, God, right? Lots of you have mimicked back to me, like, I'll see a sunrise, sunset. Good job, God. Okay, whatever the case might be. Because the Bible says that we can see God's attributes in what He's made. Wow, good job. I know He's creative. I know He's powerful, majestic, all about what He's made. So, So you're hugging yourself. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about you. And I want you to take a deep breath, put a smile on your face, and just out loud say, good job, God. Yeah, that's you. Good job, God. I don't care whatever voice is in, in your head and in our culture. When God, from the moment you were conceived, He was forming you. Man, wait till she, wait till He. Your life matters to God. He wants you to live an abundant life. John 10. In this passage, Jesus is contrasting Himself to Satan. He says, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan wants to steal your dreams, kill your identity, destroy your future. But I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, as I read that verse, let me quickly encourage you, don't Americanize that. That was not written to the U.S. of A. It was written by uh, a, a Jewish person in an ancient Jewish culture coming out of the Old Testament, birthing the Church of Christ. Because we tend to cheapen an abundant life thinking he wants me to have the biggest flat screen TV and the nicest house and car and whatever. And we tend to make an abundant life about stuff and temporary things. When the Bible's very clear that heaven and earth will pass away. So why in the world would the creator of the universe who is incredibly creative... If he wants to give you an abundant life, well, let's see. I think I'll give her an abundant life. I'll just give her a bunch of stuff. It's going to be gone someday, but I'll give her a bunch of that abundance. No, it's an abundance that goes way beyond that. All that stuff might accompany, but, but it's an abundance from the inside out. It's an abundance, get this, that you can experience the character qualities of Jesus Christ in you. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, once you accept Christ they're described in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And uh, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And all of us over 40 who stood, you know, people who should be saying about us who have been serving Christ for several years, I've been serving for half a a century. You know, you're, you're more patient than I remember you being. The older you get, it seems like the kinder you get. The more birthdays you have, it seems like you have more joy. The more birthdays you have, you are more faithful, and and there's a gentleness about you. And right now, a lot of senior citizens should be feeling slightly convicted. Because I've noticed the older we get, the more aggravated we get. The more fed up we are the more this isn't right and we get hard tired of not having our voice being heard. It's not your voice, it's Christ's voice that needs to be heard. And people around us, I hope that when I get old, <laughs> you're lucky I have a cast iron ego, all right, that really hurt me, all right? I'm not old yet. <laughs> Ish. When I was your age, I thought I was old. A guy like me was old, so it's okay. But when I get old, I want people to say, you know what, he's a really patient, kind old man. If Jesus were his age, because Jesus was crucified at 33, if Jesus grew to his age, I kind of think he'd be kind of like Jesus. That's what they should say about you. The longer I serve him, the sweeter I grow. He gives me, I can't, I blow your mind. He gives you an abundant life that allows you to go, ah, I'm feeling more like Jesus. And, and then it goes beyond what you're probably thinking. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, say far more. I mean three superlative, far more abundantly, not just than we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And, and we can think some pretty big stuff. I can ask him pretty big stuff. And then what but what's the what is the goal of it? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What he wants to do is far more than you can imagine as part of the body of Christ. Your purpose, your graduation really needs to be about standing someday before him and having him say well done. And and with that, uh, I want to jump to the third point that I doubt you will hear at any other graduation address across the country, don't chase your dreams. Well, gee, thanks. Now, if we are are marching to the beat of a different drummer, if I am in but not of this world, if I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven far before I'm a citizen of the United States, Then why in the world would I just settle for chasing my dreams? Because far more than I can ask or think, those aren't my dreams, those are God's dreams. And let me illustrate this in a passage that I I believe I misunderstood for years. In fact, it motivated me for years, I think, the wrong way. Psalm 37, verse 3. And for some of you that love this verse, I may be about to burst your bubble, but that's my job. Do not fret. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Here it is. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Hold that thought. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Say rest. Rest. And wait patiently. Ooh, say wait patiently. For him. I mean, that's, it is hard to wait. I mean, you ever get aggravated when the guy in front of you doesn't pull through the light and you've got to sit through another red light? Another 60 seconds! Ah. See, I can't do that because I might be doing that feeling good and you look in your rearview mirror and go, Hi, Pastor Sand," So I can't do that. <laughs> so you honk at somebody for me, or vicariously, I'll take that. We get so impatient. I remember. This is how old I am. I remember when microwave ovens were invented. Woo. You just push a button. Ten minutes later, boom, it's done. Now it's like, shh, right? And my goodness, anybody remember dial-up internet? <laughs> oh, you know, you hook up the internet and you hear this, right? It's making, it sending this noises over your telephone line. And 10 minutes later, a website comes up. I'm not exaggerating. Now it's like I get on my phone. This thing's taking six seconds. What's wrong? We don't like to wait for anything. We're impatient. And now I'm supposed to wait patiently for the Lord. But the verse, part of that verse that I really want to illustrate is delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I used to think what that meant was, okay, I got all these desires I want. So I'm going to delight, 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 whatever that means, delight in the Lord. And that creates an IOU, and so he then has to, boom, lay it on me, God. How many of you had desires in your heart that you never got? So was that a bait and switch? And then I started to learn, hold that thought. You know what I can't wait to do? I am looking forward to, for like the 13th time, I think, I lost track, going to Africa this fall. I'm going to see horrible poverty. I'm going to see children. I don't know where the next meal is coming from. I'm going to see people who are diseased, have no medical care. I can't wait to go. What in the world's wrong with me? The first 15 years of being a lead pastor here, I could care less about going to Africa. We send missionaries there. I'm not doing that. I'll go to Africa. So where did I can't wait to go come from? And I realized when you delight yourself in the Lord, when, when what pleases you is what you know pleases God, when you feel good about the fact, you know, I think I'm growing in that area. I think I'm being more like Jesus. And, and when, when, when that really becomes your heart, He puts, He gives you desires in your heart, and so I delight myself in the Lord, and He gives me the desires of my heart. What I desire in the first place. How many of you are employed? Let me see your hand. How many of you enjoy what you do? Okay, most of you. All right, that ability to earn wealth. Go to Deuteronomy eight. You know where they came from, God. He gives you the ability and the desire to do that when you delight yourself in Him. You don't want to know why. On the count of three, say where you work. One, two, three. He needs Christians there. He needs His light there. To all the graduates, He needs doctors, lawyers, He needs retail workers, He needs salespeople, He needs homemakers, He needs people in defense, in the government. He needs people in our culture letting their light shine. And so He gives you the desire of your heart to be his salt and his light. So don't chase your dreams. Ask God for the dreams he wants you to have. Make it a priority to delight yourself in him and you will find that he will then place desires there. For instance, how many of you, in what you do, it's extremely quantitative, like quantitative analysis, like multiple linear regression and all that kind of good computerized digital stuff. How many? Okay. A handful. All right. Those of you who do it, I'm thankful you, not me. How many of you are in the medical field? Blood and guts. Who better you, not me. I've passed out twice doing hospital visits. No joke. I don't want to know about the surgery. That is not my thing. God gave you that desire in your heart, not in mine. So He has fashioned and shaped each of us so man, do it with a passion. And here's a dangerous prayer. Want to pray a dangerous prayer? (laughs) Okay, forget it. Next point. Here's a dangerous prayer. God, open my eyes to the next level that you want to do in me where I'm at. Not even, just, just God, open my eyes to the next level where I'm at. Because I doubt that God is looking at you and saying, you know, wakes up in the morning, she's lived longer than I thought. I don't know what to do with her. <laughs> or him. You laugh, but you act like it. Who says that dreams and, and passion and what is just for people under 40? On the contrary, Proverbs 14 12 is why well, you don't want to chase your dreams. It's not on the screen, but it says there's a way which seems right to a man, but its way is the end of death. And avoid dream, cha- dream trades. This is really important. Because, see, Satan hates the idea that a person, on the count of three, say your age, one, two, three.
1: Okay.
0: Satan hates the idea that a person your age wants to dream God's dreams and, and pursue those hates it. The last thing he wants is somebody going to work where you go to work tomorrow with with a passion, a vision, a dream. The last thing he wants is a person in your neighborhood. The last thing he wants is a person, you, right here, as part of CLC. The last thing he wants is someone your age having a dream and a vision of what God could accomplish in and through you that goes beyond what you could ask or think. So here's what he does. He wants to get you to trade dreams. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Not the most inviting word picture. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And here's the question he asked, the rhetorical question. What shall it profit a person if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul, or what will they give in exchange for their soul? What will they trade? Man, you've seen people like I have. They, man, God had a hand, his hand on their life, and God was using them or whatever, and they got distracted, and they traded dreams. They traded their passion. And, and they, they went along in life, but instead of living life, I'm going to live my life for God. And, no, they, I don't know. And there's all kinds of things we trade for. Money, popularity, fame, success, fun, Whatever. And Satan can get you just to trade dreams, trade passions. Just don't be passionate about serving Christ and accomplishing the abundant life he wants for you. Don't be passionate about that. But see, we're supposed to dream different. In Philippians, Paul says, not that I speak from want, I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Say, I learned it. Contentment is a hard thing. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Whoa, how did you do that? Because for most of us, we can learn to get along with more. You want to know how much is enough? Just a little more. You want to know how to be content? Just have some more. When will you be content? When I have a little more. And so I have a little more. And so am I content? No, I need a little more. Oh, I needs a little more, a little more. And you know how you can accomplish that? Paul says, here's where I can be content, whether it's abundance or in meager means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of that quote right there. Bang. I can learn to be content. Because if I'm not content in where God has me in my life, I'm constantly looking for a trade-up. Well, what dream could I trade up to? What can I trade? What, I don't want to be me here. No, how do I trade? And, and Jesus said, man, what will the person give in exchange for their soul, for the calling God has on their life? We sang a song about Christ being the king of our heart. Keep him there. Being involved in eswatini Africa has taught me that, about the concept of Christ as king. We don't have a king in this nation, and we have, we have leaders we elect, and if you don't behave or vote right, I'll, let, I'll vote you out of there. But in Swaziland, it's the last monarchy in Africa. And when they even talk about the king, when they sing songs about a king, out of habit, they will bow and worship. When you go to meet the king, you have to get in and crawl on all fours in your suit into the king's presence. There is a humility there. And see, when he's the king of my heart, it's like, whatever you want, I want that. Your wish really is my command. But the greatest thing is, when we follow His dreams for our life, that's where the greatest sense of satisfaction happens. And so the finish line is when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not It's not when I graduate, when I get the job, when I get the whatever, and when I'm 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90, however long I live, the finish line for us as Christ followers is someday, and I hope there's a line when we get there. It'd be kind of cool. When you stand for the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he looks you in the eye and says, all that I gave you, all that I did, all that I intended for you, the abundant life, well done. That's success. And so in that process, remind yourself, Young people and other graduates. The last point, you are never alone. How many of you know you can't go just by feelings? How many of you ever had your feelings lie to you? Okay? You can't go just by feelings. And so, Hebrews 13, verse 5, the author says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Boy, that's a challenge, but it's very possible. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Extraordinary Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There are times, if I'm honest, I felt, God, where are you? But a word of faith and obedience, be to say, no, he promised he'd be here. I'm going to trust that he is. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid. Just like I'm confident in this very thing, he began a good work in me. I will also confidently say, I will not be afraid. And I got to tell you, that's a faith statement because there have been times I have been scared to death in life. Not knowing what the next moment was going to hold, they could all blow up in my face and fall into the abyss. And I have had to tell myself in faith, I will not be afraid. Because he said he'd never leave me. And even though I feel like he's not around, he said he'd never forsake me. And so then the author says, what will man do to me? What will life do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Pick good role models, good people to follow after, to learn from. Man, you're my gain. I'm all about that. Pick people to learn from. And then he says, considering the result of their conduct, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was extraordinary. He came and got what he did not deserve from the moment he was born. You talk about welcome to life, Jesus, on the planet Earth. How about being born a barn where your guests will have to watch their step? And then he showed the love and the, the power and the majesty of God. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. No greater servanthood than that. Extraordinary. He understands our heartaches and our hopes and our dreams. He wants to breathe life into that. Jesus was extraordinary 2,000 years ago. And you know what? In, in, in the future, in the forever, when we're finally in heaven, He will be extraordinary then. And the Bible says every knee will bow, every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will see Him for all He is and how extraordinary He is. But He's also extraordinary right now, Today. Yesterday, today, forever, and you are never alone. I understand sometimes you feel like it, but the Bible is true. You are never alone. One of the cool things about my job is I get to have be friends with people all over the age spectrum. I am usually three times older than somebody in our band on a given weekend, and I had conversations with a couple of friends, twenty, thirty young, years younger than me recently, and the one guy was saying. He's in his mid-30s, and he's talking about heartache and struggle and pain he's gone through for 10, 15 years, or so into his early 20s. And he said, I was standing at the edge of the ocean, and it was a rocky beach, and I was watching the waves just coming in against the shore, and I saw the, the, the stones and the pebbles, and I, I reached down and picked them up, and I saw how smooth they were, and I realized that those stones get polished and rounded and smooth because of the pounding of the waves. God spoke to me in my own life and realized that he's, he's, he's working down the rough edges, smoothing me out by the pounding of the ways of life. I could so identify with that. In fact, I share with Him, you know, it reminds me of a song that I heard a friend of mine turn me on to years ago, and I forwarded him the link this past week. It's by Nicole Norderman. It's called River God. And it uses the same analogy, only instead of the ocean, a river, and how water just keeps rushing through this river, uh, and, and, it, and the stones over time are smoothed. And a line in the stone says, when I close my eyes and feel you rushing by, I know that time brings change, and change takes time. I've been following Jesus for over 50 years, and he's still not done shaping me. It takes time. And when the sunset comes, my prayer would be this one that you might pick me up and notice that I am just a little smoother in your hand. And I pray that when I breathe my last, I stand before him, he'll say, Well done. So when I heard that song, all hell was kind of breaking loose at a season in my life, and and I went to a conference in Colorado, and so I had an afternoon off and I went into the mountains and I Stood by the edge of a river, the water's just rushing by, beautiful. And I saw stones like this one, and I picked it up. I saw how rounded and smooth it was, and imagined that when it first started in the river, it was jagged and uneven. But tumbling through the raging currents of life, over time it gets rounded and smoothed. I thought, my, how that is life. You know, we sang earlier about how he never lets us down. There are times in my life I thought he was letting me down because what I asked for was far from what I got. And I realized that he places less value on my comfort than I do. He places, in fact, he's not as worried if I get scared to death like I am. He allows me to go through fear and unknowing and pain, uncertainty and longing because as that happens, He fashions me and He shapes me and He refines me. But He never leaves me and He never abandons me. And as long as I stay faithful in the process He's in, life is worth living. I don't care if you live to be 100. As long as you're on this planet, it's worth living for His sake because He is the one who gives us the purpose and the presence and His joy. And so looking forward to this service. Weeks ago, I, I'm working out at Planet Fitness, and I, I, I listen often on my, on my earbuds, and I, I sent them this song. I said, hey, this is an old song, but it was done by a Celtic group with an upbeat theme. And, and the theme I want us to leave with is life is worth the living. Say life is worth the living. Because He lives. So when you graduate to next week, tomorrow morning, Maybe that's the first thing you tell yourself. Boy, this week is worth living because He lives and He's not done with me yet. Stand again with us and let's close singing this and celebrating this truth.
1: Because He lives